Hi, I'm James. And I'm Blake. And this is the 1 to 11. Welcome to the 1 to 11 podcast. Thanks for joining us. We're going to be here every Thursday taking the football debates that you have with your mates and bringing them to life in a podcast. So there's going to be a variety of features in every episode and an all-important fantasy football reminder as well, because if you're anything like us and you usually forget by week three, you're probably going to need it. And let's not forget why this podcast is called The 1 to 11. James and I are going away and doing our homework and coming back with polished lists, ranking different topics from 1 to 11 every week just for you. There will, of course, be a winner and a loser, but that's for you to decide. And there will obviously be some controversial shouts. Yeah, undoubtedly. Uh, You can get in touch with us as well. And please do on Instagram and Twitter. That's uh, at the one to 11 and the same on Facebook too. You can also email us as well. One to 11 pod at gmail.com. Also check the link in our in our bios on those pages and you'll be able to find our website too. Exciting stuff, Blake. The one to 11 is alive. We had the first episode obviously looking through our players to watch for the season. So go check that out, by the way, wherever you get your podcast, wherever you're listening to this. And it's going to be an exciting season, isn't it, Blake? I think that there's been a ridiculous amount of transfers gone on all around Europe. And we were talking about this the other day and trying to get our heads around the number of people who've actually moved. Um, Yeah, I think this has arguably been the craziest window I think I've ever seen. There's been big transfers left, right and centre. So much going on and uh, so much to look forward to. I think that coming into a window, sometimes you obviously know that certain players are going to go. Like, you know, I think we all were fairly aware that Haaland was probably going to make a move somewhere and that City might have been the place he was going to go. But I think that with so many big transfers happening, it almost, I was watching a video the other day actually of transfers that I hadn't even realised had gone through that kind of slipped under the radar. Um, and I think there's going to be a case of that come the end of August where I'm going to go to watch football matches and be like, when did they sign? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think there's going to be, like you say, so many that just go under the radar because everyone's just going to be talking about those big, big transfers that the the slightly smaller ones, not to say they're not as good um, for their respective teams, but they're just going to, like you say, just go completely under the radar and you're just going to forget that that's, where they play now. Yeah, 100%. I find this happens most windows, actually. I think that you're probably better at uh, covering the transfers than I am. Because I'll be like, do you see this player move? Do you like, yeah, that happened two months ago. I'll be like, right, brilliant, okay. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, <laughs> the summer does get me excited. Um, transfers is a is a big joy in my mind. Um, I do I do love to keep on, to, uh, keep on top of transfers and just look who's moving and seeing how they're going to affect the league yeah so we talked a little bit about uh, a few transfers in the first episode and of course go and take a listen to that we were talking about the players to watch this season uh, an exciting season we think it's going to be and today's episode we're looking at something a bit different a new theme Blake what is it that we're going to be uh, that we're going to be looking through today very excitingly is the top 11 managers in the prem right now yeah so we're kind of expecting that we will probably disagree at certain points. I don't think that anybody uh, ever makes an opinion about football and everybody agrees with it. So we'll just go through the structure of the podcast for you once again. Uh, so 
what will happen is that we'll go through our lists. So 1 to 11 each week, Blake are putting together a list of 1 to 11 of a different topic. We do that in every episode, but also we'll be breaking up as well for a few features. Today, the wiki quiz feature, which is going to be fun. Uh, we're also going to be analysing a few of the transfers that have happened already and deciding whether we think they're a flop or not. And also we're going to be looking at who we think is going to be finishing in the top four this season. But without further ado, I guess we should probably crack on and go through our list of managers, starting at 11, and then we'll go through to one. I will take it from here. I will hit you with my number 11. And I have gone with Brentford's Thomas Frank. So number 11, we've both discussed as being... One of the most difficult on the list, actually, and I think we both had a few options. My option I'm so split on, and I almost regret it, but I'm going to stand by it now because I've already done the prep. Uh, we're going to go for Liverpool legend Steven Gerrard. Yeah, he was, I'll be honest, he was in consideration for me. Um, but in my opinion, I just think Thomas Frank just picked him in my in my eyes to that 11th spot. I just think bringing Brentford up from the championship and he has just come into the Prem and just solidified them very much in the middle of the table. There was no real stress about it. They just kind of got on, did what they needed to do. There's never really a great deal of talk about them being in a relegation battle. Yeah. And there's, there is always that one team that does that and, Sometimes it's to detriment because it ends up that they did so well that they now have such high expectations that they just go completely the other way the next season. But and do a Sheffield United exactly. and end up going up and then and then everybody works them out and they end up crashing down. And you wonder if with them losing Ericsson, I know lots of Brentford fans are probably going to be saying, oh, it's just one player. He wasn't that important. But with losing that experience, I wonder if they'll struggle. Um, but they do have De Silva back now, who is a promising midfielder who was injured for most of last season. It's going to be a tough campaign. I'm, I'm not offended by Thomas Frank, actually, at number 11. I, <laughs> I wonder if I should have put him there. But I've gone for Steven Gerrard because, although I know that he spent a decent amount of money while at Rangers, and that's comparatively to how much they'd spent in recent years. Um, I think that people within the club were saying they actually spent a decent amount of money while he was there. But also he got them playing effective football and he won them their first title in something like 10 years, broke that Celtic run of trophies. Also did well with them in Europe as well, actually took them on a little bit of a run. Um, and coming into Villa, first job in the Prem, inconsistent, admittedly. What, won 10, lost 12? Yeah, and I, I think... I know you said about they spent a lot of money at Rangers too, but I think that's why I've not put him in here is that 14th finish based on what, what was put into that team in the summer and the January transfer window. I feel like he just slightly underachieved on what Villa fans were expecting. Yeah, and I think that potentially I've fallen into that trap that I think a lot of people probably did in which when Gerard first came into Villa... He got a few decent results at first after Dean Smith had been struggling, obviously, and started. They were playing really nice football. And I think that because it was Gerard as well, people built a hype. But actually, they then went on a bit of a slump. Yeah, I mean, I've got to stand by it now. Um, but there were other options. Um, I don't know if Thomas Frank has done enough for me 
to have made the top 11 purely because he did well with Brentford to bring them up. And I think it's the first time they've been in the Premier League, isn't it? And he did well in their first season. I'd want to see him solidify and build on that first season. And then I'd go from there. Yeah, I think I think it's exactly the same for both managers in this situation. We've not seen a full season out of Gerard yet. So him going in a pre-season and putting his own stamp on that team during pre-season and making the players to his level of fitness, that might give him a bigger boost and might like he might be able to then take the team and show us what he really can do. But like I said, I just think Thomas Frank showed me more as a manager last season for him to be in this list. Just before we move on to number 10 in our lists, I think it'll be interesting to see what Villa do this season, actually, because Gerard, he has that weight on his shoulders. Let's not mess about. Everybody knows within the football world that he's going to want that Liverpool job at some point, and Liverpool aren't going to appoint him unless he does a pretty impressive job at Villa, like pushing towards European football. Like you say, they've spent lots of money. Actually, for my research... Um, for later on. I was having a look at their net spend. I know this wasn't specifically Gerard himself, but Villa's net spend over the last three, four years, 232 million, which is a lot of money for a mid-table club. So he's got pressure on his shoulders and it'll be interesting to see how he does. But like you say, I guess he's not proven yet. But there we go. So we move on to number 10 in our lists. Yes. I have gone with a man who took a little bit of a break from football, actually. I don't think it was intentional. I have gone for Eddie Howe. I will be matching you exactly here. That's exactly where I have also put Eddie Howe. I like him as a manager. I think that he plays nice football. I think he wins over his dressing room. I think that he doesn't compromise necessarily too much on his footballing style, but obviously hasn't done enough yet to be cracking any higher in the list. But I think I think he's I think he's a good manager. I don't know why it was that he had that break after Bournemouth. No, I, again, I'm, I don't really understand either. Um, maybe he just needed a break. <laughs> Been in management for a long time with Bournemouth, so sometimes you just need a bit of a rest period. But yeah, I, I totally agree. Like He's always been well-regarded for the way he plays the game. I mean, there was a lot of talk about him being the prime candidate to take over at England um, for a long time. And He's taken over Newcastle, who were heavily battling relegation when he did take over. They were 19th, weren't they, in the November? Yeah, it was, yeah, heavily, yeah, they were in trouble, is how I would describe it. Very much so. Um, uh, yeah, and he's just, he's just dragged them slowly up the table, just kind of unnoticed, really. Well, not completely unnoticed, obviously. There was, there's been some good football, and shockingly, I was not expecting this. The signing of Dan Byrne was... Absolute masterclass. Absolute icon. I tell you what, though, he's actually, I'm pretty sure he was fairly decent for Fulham, had a decent stint at Brighton, has gone to Newcastle. I mean, get the man in the England squad, you know? Yeah, (laughs) maybe not quite those levels of good. Get him on the plane to Qatar and give him that captaincy. (laughs) Harry Kane, not needed. (laughs) But yeah, he has definitely just shored things up at the back for... Newcastle um, and I think I think Eddie Howe has also helped that I think he's always been pretty solid defensively as a manager yeah I think that defensive style that Eddie Howe has has helped propel them up the league you say that I mean his Newcastle side have been really solid and I think what was it so they they <laughs> I tell you what I was concerned about actually is that he took over in November 
And I was thinking, he's a good manager. Why didn't he get a job? Newcastle then didn't win until December. And I was starting to think, is this why nobody went for him? What's happening here? But then I think it was something along the lines of post-December. Was it only City, Liverpool and Spurs that won more points than Howe? Mm-hmm. Which, yeah. is, which is impressive. Bournemouth, I think, did concede a fair few goals, but they scored a lot. Um, but also, Bournemouth were in the Premier League for five years with Eddie Howe. That's a tiny club with a capacity stadium of 11,000. Yeah, and like I said, that's very much where he built up that respect, is that he kept a team that really didn't belong in the Premier League, and he regularly kept them quite comfortably in the Premier League. It sounds savage to say, doesn't it? But Bournemouth as a football club, they did really well to get where they were. Um, I'm sure they've got a loyal fan base down on the south coast, but also when your your ground capacity is 11,000, you're doing well to have the attendances and to have the revenues to be staying in England's top flight. Um, I know there's actually, they're, they're making loads of changes to the training ground and everything at the moment as well, but I'm sure they need a new ground. But but yeah, I think Eddie Howe, I think Eddie Howe deserves 10th place and I'm glad that we've both put him there. Should we move on to number nine? So for my number nine, I've gone with Graham Potter. And how about you? I was umming and erring over this. And I made a last-minute change to move Graham Potter from eight down to nine. So I have again matched you okay. with, with Graham Potter at nine. Do you want to go go ahead with your reasoning? Tell me what you thought. I mean, I guess we're going to have similar sort of ideas on this. Yeah, I think, like I said, again, I think he's of a, a similar kind of ilk, in my opinion, to an Eddie Howe, in that he's, yeah. he's taken a team that no one really expects to be regularly in the Premier League and he's taken them to ninth in the league and they were really pushing like that top eight finish and a lot of people are starting to think he really can push them to that top eight finish Um, but I think obviously breaking down a Leicester is difficult but I think he's taking that Brighton team and performing very very well and to be honest he's doing it with not a lot of attacking options. That is putting it that's putting it kindly, I think. Yeah, they, they've never really had a particularly blessed strike force. Do you want to know who the last person I could think of that you could almost rely on to get you double-figure goals in a season for Brighton? Hit me with it. Glenn Murray, I'm thinking, is is probably the last one. And that must have been a few years ago. And even then, he wasn't exactly the answer, was he? No, he, again, like he wasn't providing you with everything he was just like like <laughs> he's not exactly going to run him behind yeah exactly like he obviously was offering those goals from time to time but he wasn't making that big big difference up front no no what i do agree with there is that they they had the joint fifth lowest goals in the league last season which i think is still an issue i think they as of recording they haven't signed a striker as of yet they have actually signed a striker. Well, they signed him in January. His name is Dennis Undav. Oh, Undav, yeah. Yeah, there is talk that he could be their answer up front, but yeah. I wonder, do you think that Brighton are the next West Ham, in which if you're a striker and you go there, you're kind of accepting your career is about to crash? I mean, it's a possibility. Um, Like I said, Graham Potter's style is... Very defensive. They're, I mean, they're in the top. You say that. Yeah, but they they can be. But they're progressive. They just don't get the goals. Yeah, this is true. But they do. They are very solid defensively. They're in the top six for 
goals conceded last season. So like they don't concede all that much. And a lot of the issues have been in finding that final third, like finding those goals in the final third. Um, so they've always been fairly solid defensively. Like I said, a top six club when it comes to conceding goals in the league, but it is just finding that final end product in the box. Yeah, and when he took over, actually, they were 17th. The campaigns that followed, 15th, 16th, 9th. 9th is incredibly impressive. And also, it's not just the fact that he has brought in a style there and the club seems to have a direction now. I think that also the way he brings players through in his recruitment isn't horrible at all. I mean, he brought in Cucurella, who obviously is a player who has done very well for them um, over the last season. He gave Lamptey his debut as well. He brought in Saicedo and waited an absolute age before giving him his debut, but it seems to have paid off. And is he going to be the answer to the Basuma hole now? Um, I think that he is using the budget that he has smartly because if you look on transfer market, they would say that Brighton have a net spend of 58 million since he came in, which isn't exactly a lot when you compare that to Villa at 232 million, Wolves at 96 million. So I think that his recruitment generally hasn't, it's been fairly savvy, I think it's fair to say. Yeah, I, I would totally agree with that. Like you say, like he's not spent lots and lots of money um, and he has managed to take them within touching distance of top eight and European football, which That's mad. I think is a bit of a, yeah which is a bit crazy. Beggar's belief. Just before we move on, um, what I will say is there were links between Graham Potter and the Tottenham job and links between Graham Potter and the United job. Do you think that was a bit early for him to be taking a step to two of England's biggest clubs? I was, as a Spurs fan, I wasn't really set on Graham Potter. Like, I think, I think like I said, I think he's a very good manager, but I'm just not sure he's ready for that level yet. I think he just needs a little bit more time at Brighton to prove that he can really, really push them. And then he really does have a chance of being in with a shout of one of those top jobs. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Right then, let's move on to number eight in the list. After our number eights, we're going to be going ahead and going to our first feature. Number eight, I guess I'll go first for this one. I'm going to upset a lot of Arsenal fans and put him this far down the list. Well, I say that, he splits the Arsenal camp. Mikel Arteta is who I've gone for. Well, we really are on point today, aren't we? Because that's exactly where I will say put Arteta. I think that, don't get me wrong, I think he's got a really bright future and I think he will be one of the better managers in the world. In the world? I think he will be, yeah. Oh, that's a, that's a bold claim. What's he, 40, 42? I mean, there's a real possibility. But um, Do you not see it? I mean, I can see it. I just think it's a very bold thing to say right now. He has potential, but I just I'm, I wouldn't be convinced that he'll be one of the best in the world. Admittedly, three years into his managerial career, it's, <laughs> it's a little bit ballsy to be chucking that out there. But I, yeah, I'm going to stand by it. I think that he's got the makings of a very good manager. I think that the way that he um, has handled the... The hate that was around Granite Xhaka, I think that seems to have quelled now and the fan base seems to like him again. I think that the Aubameyang situation, he was captain of the club. I think it would have been easy to just knuckle under and keep him because he was a big name. But he made a big decision and said, look, we're going to get rid of him. We can, we're better off without him. I think that was the right decision as well. I know that a lot of people say that he was their main striker, so they should have kept hold of him at least until the end of the season. But 
I don't know. I just I just think that he's got the makings of a good man manager, but also very tactically astute. I mean, there is proof that he is a beloved manager. I mean, he's worked under Pep, so he's had many years learning from one of the best in the game. Um, and he has then been able to convince two of the players that he was managing at City to buy into this Arsenal project. So there's clearly something there that's tangible that players want to be a part of. Having players that have worked with him as their assistant coach, I think is a big show of how much they loved him and how much they're going to work into this project. Because like you say, with, with Arsenal, you're going from City to Arsenal. It's quite like a drop. So you're not going to do that drop unless you believe in the project. Let's go on a little fishing mission here. You say it's quite the drop. Would you say that Arsenal is a smaller club than City? Yes, I think <laughs> I think you could say that. I mean, they have more, like, they have a lot of history, but I don't think Arsenal fans are expecting titles to be won anytime soon. Whereas City, you're in contention of winning every major trophy every season. That's what I mean about the drop. Like, you, you, you can't... When you're fighting for major trophies every season, to drop to possibly trying to make the top four, it's it's a big drop. Yeah, it's a it's a big drop in standard and in expectation, I guess. Um, in club size, I don't know if I necessarily agree, <laughs> but you know, you can rile up the Arsenal fans with that one. Let's remember that Mikel Arteta, within his first five minutes with Arsenal, has won more trophies than Spurs in the last. Yeah, well, we didn't need to bring that up, did we? Let's be honest. That wasn't necessary. <laughs> Look, I'm just trying to win over the Arsenal fans' early doors. But ultimately, I think that he only had three wins against the traditional top six in the league last season. I mean, it's not amazing. Um, but I think that, like you were saying before, that there is a process there. There's He clearly has a an identity that he wants for the club. He's trusting youth um, and seems to be getting the best out of those young players as well. And I think he's bought relatively intelligently. I mean, Odegaard, I think, was a great signing. I think Jesus is going to prove to be a really good signing. And again, Zinchenko, he's only 25. And it looks like in, in his first preseason game, they played him left back, but he can cover in the middle as well. I think he's a good signing. So I think it's fair to say Arteta 8th for now, but potential to climb within the next couple of years. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Like, I, I think he does definitely have the potential to be higher on this list. And like you say, you can clearly see his philosophy and what he wants from the club. And so there is definitely eyes on much higher, but I think he just needs to prove it a bit more. And like you say, I very much agree with his, his signings this summer. I think they're very smart. Zinchenko and Jesus have both been in that Manchester City squad. They've won, they've won multiple titles with them. I think they've both got something to prove as well, which is so incredibly beneficial for Arteta because I think Jesus has never really been trusted too long term as the main man. Yeah, and I, I agree with you because I'm one of these people that doubts Jesus slightly. Um, I think he's very good, but I want to see him do what he's done, go to an Arsenal and score bucket loads because he does have the potential. That's why City signed him, but he's just never really shown that he can bang 20 goals a season, which is what you need to be considered like a superstar in this league. So that is 11 through eight of our list done. And I think it's probably time to break for our first feature. This one is called 
wiki quiz. In this wiki quiz, we're going to go through a manager's career step by step and try and guess who the manager is. As you're listening, you may get it before us or we may get it before you. We'll find out. Let us know after the episode uh, how quickly you got it and whether you think they were too easy or too hard. Blake, do you want to start us off telling me the year in which that manager was at their first club and what the first club was? In 2006 to 2007, they were at Arezzo. At where? Arezzo. How are you spelling that? A-R-E-Z-Z-O. <laughs> it's off to a good start if I didn't even know. I assume it's a place. I have no idea what Arezzo is. Okay, um blind stab in the dark uh ten hog nope um and then from 2007 to 2009 he was at bari is this conte it is indeed yeah yes that's a seriously good effort that yeah um (laughs) it's because i was looking him up the other day um because i was curious as to um what his managerial period managerial path actually was because i knew that he'd been at juventus in italy i had no idea how he started oh fantastic well that is <laughs> that's unbelievably lucky for me right so let's get your first one um on the books then so the first team they managed was from 83 to 92 and it was afc bournemouth afc bournemouth um just take a stab in the dark and say Nigel Clough? Nope. Next up, from 94 to 2001, he was in charge of West Ham. Is it uh, Sam Allardyce? It's not, no. Big Sam, damn. 2002 to 2004, he was in charge of Pompey. Is this Harry Redknapp? It is Harry Redknapp, yeah. Nice. Big hero. Well, yeah, of course. I mean, I, I guess that you probably love him. Um, I don't know what Pompey fans think of him. Um, he kind of splits opinion, doesn't he? But for you guys... Got you into Europe, big part in Bale's career. Arguably one of my favourite goals ever was that, that Peter Crouch goal scored to put us into Europe whilst Harry Nett was in charge. So yeah, big legend for us. <laughs> he is an icon. So that is Wiki Quiz and that's how it's going to work and it'll probably be a recurring feature uh, throughout the future of our podcast, The 1 to 11. So that is our first feature wiki quiz done and back on to our lists. We'd gone through 11 to 8 and Blake, number 11, you had Thomas Frank. And then we pretty much matched each other from there out. So it was just Howe, Potter, Arteta uh, at 10, 9 and 8. And at 11, I had Steven Gerrard. Now let's see from here where we go. So at number 7, do you want to kick us off? Yeah, so here I've gone for West Ham's manager, David Moyes. There's real potential for us to have very similar lists from here on in, isn't there? I have also gone for David Moyes at number seven. I think he has been taking West Ham heavily above expectations. And he's always had a very good Premier League career with his managerial spell at Everton. I mean, I say always. <laughs> Manchester United spell wasn't the best, but he's really bounced back from that it took him a while um with the real sociedad and sunderland jobs but now he's got back at west ham he's really taken them on leaps and bounds and 
I think he's really starting to get the best out of that team. The first season that they brought in Jared Bowen, he he was okay, but he really set the world alight last year. So uh, I think he's just, like I said, consistently taking West Ham above where you'd expect them to be in the league. And they really, literally until the last day, pushed Manchester United all the way. So I think he really deserves to be this high on that list. Yeah, I think that I, as I was going through this list, I was basing it on how good that manager is now, not just on their career. Because I think if you look at it now, obviously he's taken West Ham into Europe and they had a, a very good run in Europe. And what, they finished sixth and seventh in the last two campaigns, which is an incredible feat, really. And they've got a strong squad. Obviously, like you say, his time with United was a bit of a failure. He arguably should have had more time than he got, given the fairly woeful squad, actually, that he inherited. But also, he won the Community Shield. So, really, his United time was a success. Yeah, I mean, a trophy is a trophy, isn't it? So You would say that. The Audi Cup <laughs> sits happily in that Tottenham Hotspur Arena uh, trophy cabinet. Yeah, well... Proudly, Yeah, Yeah, but we, at least we won a, a League Cup. I know it's over like 14 years ago but it happened so it's fine <laughs> at least we won a league cup <laughs> yeah it did happen nobody's taken that away from you don't you worry yeah i think that it's fair to put in there and he did well with he took everton to fourth in the premier league which in itself was impressive yeah uh, yeah exactly yeah he he did very well in the job of Everton. there was a reason that he was considered the successor at united was because of his performances at everton so I think he's earned his spot on this list. Yeah, and he is number four, actually, in the most wins as a Premier League manager. So Moyes four. Can you tell me who is three, two and one? I believe, I think we'll be talking about Sir Alex Ferguson. At number one, yeah. Pep Guardiola. Nope. No? No, Pep Guardiola is in the top ten, but he is not within the top three. Mourinho? Nope. Again, in the top 10, not in the top three. You're thinking more for a early noughties icon. Ooh. Oh, well, of course, Arsene Wenger. Arsene Wenger. And then number three is our wiki quiz legend himself. Oh, Harry Redknapp. Love that. Yeah, in fact. Yeah, Harry Redknapp sneaks in at number three for most wins in Prem history as a manager, which is quite impressive. So number seven, we've both gone for David Moyes. Now, number six on the list, I have gone for Brendan Rodgers. Yeah, I agree with you here. I think the titles um, that he won with Celtic has really like pushed him up this list for me. The fact that he almost completed a treble-treble is absolutely ridiculous. And he, until last year, he didn't have his best season last season, if we're being honest. But he has taken Leicester very far. Um, he's um, always been fighting in Europe with them and um, yeah I think he deserves to be slightly above David Moyes here. I think like you say last season the season just gone wasn't Leicester's best season under him really I mean they had two fifth placed finishes in the previous campaigns but also they finished eighth which to say it's a poor season that's their what joint third highest ever Premier League finish which kind of shows what Brendan Rodgers has done for Leicester City. That expectation now is so much higher because not just him, obviously the owners of the club and the players and, and the structures in place at that club have been fantastic over the last, what, 10 years almost. Um, but 
I think that goes to show how good of a job he's doing. They've been doing it for the last few years, so we kind of have a higher expectation. But like you say, finishing eighth with that Leicester team really isn't an awful return. But it's just because of his overachieving in previous seasons that we now consider that a bad season for Leicester. Yes, yeah. And you could argue that they should have secured fourth in previous seasons. But I think ultimately there's a similar argument to be made for Mikel Arteta in which they should have secured fourth, Arsenal this is, but the fact that they finished fifth was still a very good season. And I think that's the same for Rodgers in those previous seasons. And also let's not forget the fact that he won seven successive trophies with Celtic, like you were saying before, but also he took Liverpool to the Europa League final and within touching distance of the Premier League, which I think in itself was a very good effort. And then he did really well with Swansea. He took them to 11th in their first season in the Premier League. So I think that Brendan Rodgers is a man whose reputation, I think probably unfairly, has taken a bit of a hit because of last season. And also I worry for Leicester um, going into the current upcoming campaign. They've just not strengthened, have they? Um, as of recording this podcast, they've not strengthened and that's a bit of a worry because um, I don't think their squad was strong enough. Yeah, I think, I think their squad was struggling last season. And like we were talking earlier, so many teams have been strengthening the summer with big transfers that I think if you don't match those big transfers, you're going to slowly fall off the pace, um, which could be worrying for Leicester. Especially with, I read a stat a few weeks ago that said something along the lines of, even though Jamie Vardy was injured for a lot of last season, it was either the, over the whole season or from January that he still won Leicester more points than any other player in the Premier League had won their club with his goals, which is a ridiculous stat. But also, he's going to be, what, 37 maybe next season or the season coming? Yeah. It's going to be a certain amount of time that he can continue carrying Leicester goals-wise. And I don't know if Dakar and Iheanacho are going to step up enough to propel them, to be honest. Iheanacho and Dakar, I expect, to pop up with a few goals here and there, but I just don't think they could lead that front line the way that Vardy would um, if they had Vardy fit all season long. And obviously, like you say, he's now ageing. So whether he's got that pace, that extra step that he used to use to beat the defenders, whether it's still definitely there for the next couple of seasons... I think they really need to strengthen in that area. Yeah, they do, because Vardy's game has started to change as well in that he doesn't complete as many sprints as he did. He's not running the channels quite like he used to, and it's understandable because he's mid-30s, nearing 40. Um, and I think that, like you say, they need to strengthen there. They have to. Yeah. Moving on to our number five, um, I have the new Manchester United man, Eric Ten Hag. I have a feeling that we're going to have the same five through one, which means we've only disagreed about number 11, which is quite odd, really, because quite often we will disagree in our football debates. But it's kind of nice that in one of the early episodes, we have one where we, we get along. I've also gone for Eric Ten Hag at number five. I think he has a lot of potential. I know I would say that, and it's only a preseason, and Louis van Gaal had a strong preseason for United too, and then look what happened there. But I just think that, Ten Hag has come in with an attitude of knowing there is work to be done. He's very, been very straight up about that. And he's being straight with the players. One of the players was late twice to one of the meetings on preseason. They were dropped from the team. He's being strict and the players are responding to it well. And I think that he's handling things 
well so far as United manager in the four games of preseason football that he's <laughs> had to deal with. Yeah, I, I, I mean, he does seem to have been very harsh with his enforcing the rules. Um, I think I did see something come out the the other week about the fact that he had very specific rules that if any player did break them, that they were dropped and that no one, and literally no one was undroppable. And there's, that is something that's very hard to enforce when you have such superstars like you do at Manchester United. I think it's needed at United, though. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think they <laughs> they do need something like that, but it's very hard to enforce. It's just one of those things that I don't know if it, it works well for preseason. I think it will because it will get people motivated, but it's just whether some players might become tiresome with that and kind of rebel against it i'm not i don't know if that's the case at all but we obviously have to wait and see on that but like you say it's very hard sometimes to enforce like those rules within the squad and it's easy to get carried away with what happens in pre-season but let's talk about why we think ten Hag um deserves to be number five i've just been looking over his record and it's okay so he's not managed in the top five leagues but where he has managed, he's been pretty impressive. I mean, won two doubles with Ajax, put them back on top at Dutch football, Champions League semi-final. That in itself, I mean, I think that brought in most of his attention. The fact that that semi-final, that run to the semi-final was so impressive, especially with that 4-1 win over Madrid. Yeah, they did a very that was a, did a very good job to get into those semi-finals. And you think of all of the players that were in those squads have all moved for very high fees. So he got a lot out of that squad and I think that's a big thing as to why he has been chosen by Manchester United as their next manager is that he has been able to get a lot out of those young players and I think they're looking for him to drag that out of the players that he has at the club now. Yeah and despite losing those players like lost to Lit, lost to Young, lost lost Ziyech, Donny van der Beek I mean, the squad that he left Ajax with is still pretty good. I mean, they brought Anthony in. He's been very good. Um, Neres was decent for them. Not so much a big name for them now. But also Gravenberch came through. Martinez. He's just done a good job. And I think that Ajax as a club generally do this. So it's not just on Ten Hag. But I think that they've he's done a good job of blooding in new players to replace them. And also, he has the record for being the manager to reach 100 wins fastest in the Eredivisie. He did it with Ajax. 100 wins in 128 games. Like you say, that just calls to how good of a manager he was that at, in Ajax. Like that, that is an extremely good record. And I was looking at some stats too, and he had a 75% win rate at Ajax, which is just completely crazy. Yeah, and he's had a 64% win rate over his managerial career. Like this guy does know how to win football matches. When you think that Alex Ferguson's admittedly over a very long career but his win rate with United was about 58%. I think obviously it is at a lower competitive level but to have that high win percentage it's probably going to be transferable. Maybe obviously not that highly but to a very good level within the Premier League. 75% at Ajax. That's actually ridiculous. Um, I tell you what's interesting about Ten Hag actually is that he comes from money and I can't remember what it is that his family do. They initially wanted him to go into the family business, but he said, no, I want to go into football and I want to be managing football. Um, Because he used to be a player, of course, as well. 
But what it means is that when it comes to dealing with the board and when it comes to dealing with players, apparently he's not afraid to follow his vision and be very driven on that. And he won't stray from that vision because apparently he comes from money. It means that he has something to fall back on. So if he loses a job in football, he has something to fall back on. He's not left in the lurch. And supposedly that's given him this real, it's given him this real crystallized vision of how he wants football to be played. And, and he'll commit to that. And I think that's going to either go really well at Man United or really badly. So I guess we'll have to see what happens. Yeah, it's one of those that we are just going to have to wait and see. And I think, I think you give it two more seasons, he very much could be a lot. He could be higher on this list, but it's it's more the unknown factor of him being in the Premier League that is why he's at fifth. Sure. So that is our seven, six, and five done. And I think that that means that it's time for another feature. Yeah, and our next feature is going to be something called Ballon d'Or or Ballon Snore. So in this feature, we are taking five players that have moved this summer, three from the Premier League and then two from Europe. Uh, we'll also be looking at the Championship as well over the next few episodes. And today's players that we're going to be having a look at and deciding whether they're going to be a success or whether they're going to be a bit of a flop at their new clubs. We have Rafinha, who's moved from Leeds to Barcelona. We have Haaland, who has moved from Dortmund to City. We have De Litt, who has moved from Juventus to Bayern Munich. Raheem Sterling, who's gone from City to Chelsea. And Christian Eriksen, who I guess was a free agent but playing for Brentford last season, has gone to Man United. Who do you want to start with, Blake? I think let's start with arguably the most exciting. And I think we should, and I'm very excited to see this guy in the Premier League, is Haaland. Yeah, I mean, the guy is a generational talent, and I don't use that lightly. His, he's 21 years old, and he scored, what, 86 and 89 for Dortmund, and he was injured a lot. So he was quite often coming back from injuries, which obviously is going to affect you as a player. And he still managed to score that many goals. I mean, he's he's ridiculous. I mean, yeah, he is utterly ridiculous. Like his goal scoring records in the Bundesliga are just crazy. And I just can't wait to see if he can transition that into the Premier League and continue to score goals at the rate that he's been able to do it in the Bundesliga. I think that the... The difference will be that quite often... I mean, I didn't watch a lot of Dortmund last season, admittedly. Um, but I, I'd i say that a lot of teams sit very deep against City. So Haaland's pace in behind isn't going to be as important. But luckily for him and for City, his movement in, in the box and his movement across the first man is outrageous. And his finishing is equally incredible. I just think he's going to be a massive hit. I just can't see him failing. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Like, I do, there's no way, in my opinion, that this just doesn't work. City have been crying out for someone that can just hold that middle of the field and just put the ball in the back of the net. And I just, yeah, like you say, I can't see how this doesn't work. He can shoot from outside the area. His positioning is madness. He can head. He can do everything. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing him in the City shirt, and I think he's going to be a big success. 
Yeah, as do I. And I think what'll be interesting, actually, is that I think, you know, they brought him in because he's a big name because he'll score goals, but also for those big occasions as well. And in those big occasions, it's more likely that big teams will come at them. And that's where Haaland's going to be able to get in behind against those sides. What's interesting, actually, is that I was listening to an athletic podcast a few weeks ago, and they were saying that actually it was the city board that were pushing hard for Haaland. And actually Pep Guardiola... I mean, obviously it's Haaland, so he wasn't saying no. And if the Athletic was saying if Guardiola had straight up said no, then they wouldn't have signed Haaland. But he wasn't all that fussed, apparently. But then in Haaland's first game in preseason for City, he scored. And he scored a second and it was ruled out for offside. And he wasn't even fit. He's had lots of niggly injuries. So I think that's kind of worrying for everyone else in the Prem. But I think we can both agree he's going to be a hit. So on to our next one. Um, and I think we should jump over to Europe for this one I think we should talk about Rafinha yeah an interesting one um I mean I assume you saw Nagelsmann's comments about Barcelona seemingly being able to buy players without any money and not understanding how it does seem rather outrageous how much money they're being able to spend this summer when they have no money yeah they took out a loan didn't they but also there's still the the FFP rules and they need to sell, and they know they need to sell. I guess they're confident Diong will go, but obviously, you know, United are saying we're not paying those wages that you still owe him, and Barca are saying well you should, um, and Diong is saying well I'm not leaving without them, which is fair enough. But I think Rafinha plays off the right. Does he play? I mean, Dembele was very good towards the end of last season. I just don't know how much he plays. This is my big worry with this transfer. Is I just don't see how much of an impact he's going to have when they already have Dembele. And Xavi has like continuously come out and said how much he loves Dembele and that how much he wants him to stay. So I don't see why they're bringing in Rafinha just to play second fiddle to Dembele, unless they have some kind of new plan to put Dembele on the left, maybe. But then you're then taking game time away from Ansu Fati. So I, I just don't see really how he's going to get consistent game time within this Barcelona team. I'm not 100% sure on Barca's strategy altogether. I mean, obviously, if Lewandowski is available, you try and get him because he's outrageous. But Aubameyang was playing well for them towards the end of last season. I don't think either of them is going to want to sit on the bench. They buy Rafinha for 50-odd million He's probably not going to want to sit on the bench either, but then you don't want to drop Ansu Fati either. I, I'm i confused um, as to what's going on there. I don't want to say that Rafinha is... I don't want to say he's going to be a flop, because I think when he plays, he'll probably be fairly good, but I, if we have to go flop or success, I think I'm going to have to go flop, because like you were saying, is he going to have that impact? Because Dembele's probably going to start. He's done well in pre-season, actually. He scored... He scored the winner against Real Madrid, and he did really well on his debut. I just don't see it being a massive success for him personally. Yeah, speaking of that uh, goal, I actually saw quite a funny tweet the other day of uh, Barcelona. When he scored, they added so many A's at the bottom of Rafinha. Um, <laughs> and then it said hashtag goal, and then uh, it then cut to the goal that was scored in the Champions League final when there was like three O's on goal and that was it <laughs> and it was like it's pre-season why are you going so crazy but yeah um, and I think that <laughs> I think that needs to be like said here like I think 
he, like you say, I think he's going to be fairly decent when he gets on that pitch. But in my opinion, this is going to be a flop. And I think he's going to kind of, for him at least, he's going to kind of fade into not being necessarily as relevant. Because, I mean, he will be relevant because he's playing for Barcelona. But I just don't see that he's going to have that big impact that you'd expect a £60 million player to have. Yeah, his stock isn't going to be any higher for sitting on the bench for Barcelona as it was for, you know, um, performing really well for Leeds and potentially could have gone for Chelsea. Apparently Chelsea were offering more money, but he wanted to go to Barca. So there we go. Um, So we need to crack on with the rest of our list. So let's just rattle through the last three players. So, I mean, I think we're probably both going to say similar things on this one. Raheem Sterling, I mean... I think, you know, he only had one year left on the contract, but for the money, I think it's a great signing. I, I don't see that going wrong. To say that you're going to get Sterling for £45 million, uh, in his prime now, he's only 27 years of age, I believe, that's a great signing. And he just makes that left side of Chelsea so much better. And I think he can only really be a big success. Like I say, the fee's not that much for someone of his quality. Um, there's no pressure on him as such. Um, so I think he's just going to go out there and just have a great time and just show everyone why he's considered so good. I think he's he said that he wants to win the Ballon d'Or, I think, in a relatively recent interview um, upon about why he wanted to move to Chelsea. Um, so it'd be interesting to see what he does. I just think that he's got that versatility as well. He could play off the left. He could play in behind um, or off of a striker like he does for England with Harry Kane and direct involvement in one goal in every two games in his Prem career. I mean, yeah, it, it's a good signing. I think we can both agree success. Yeah, I, I think we both agree that completely. And then moving on to our second European transfer, I think we're probably going to have fairly similar opinions here as well. In that it's uh, the transfer of De Ligt to Bayern Munich. What do you think about this one, James? I think for all parties involved, it's a good deal. I think Juventus will probably feel a bit bitter that it didn't work out better for them. The promise that De Ligt had at Ajax, it didn't really work out for him at Juventus as it could have done. Why that is, I don't know. I still think that he is going to be an incredible centre-back. and I don't think he was bad at Juventus by any stretch. But I just think that Bayern were desperate for a centre-back. It's a big move to a very impressive club for De Ligt. And I think that he's going to start and I think he's going to be a legend there. I think that when he leaves, he will end up leaving as a legend of Bayern Munich. I think it's as simple as that. Okay, well, that, that's, a, that's a very bold claim. They've had a lot of very good players there. But I, I do agree with you that I think it's going to be a great success. Like, he's exactly what they need. They, they've been crying out for a very good centre-back. They've lost Sula. So I think he's exactly what they need. Um, it, it's quite a steep fee. Um, and like you say, it didn't quite work out at Juve. So to pay, like, I think it was around 75, 80 million um, for De Ligt is is a high fee. But I think it's going to work out very well for everyone involved. Yeah, I think there'll be return on investment in that. I think that he will be their centre back for the next what, decade, potentially. Yeah, good signing, I think. And the last one. I think is an interesting one. Christian Eriksen, what are your thoughts on this? I've not spoken to you about this yet, really. Yeah, I'm a little bit sour, if I'm honest. (laughs) I was really hoping he was going to come back to Spurs. But my opinion on it is I just don't think this is the right fit. He's a very good player. And I think he, he can make a difference in some games. But I just 
with Bruno there as well, I just I can't see how he's going to have a big impact on the on the side. I think him playing for Brentford, he was like the main man and kind of able to control a game how he wanted to. Whereas I think I'm not sure that's going to be the case in a United shirt. But I'd like to be proven wrong because. I have a lot of love for Ericsson and I do want him to do well personally. I'm not so fussed about Manchester United, but Rude. I do have a lot of love for Ericsson, so I would like to see him do well. But I'm just not quite sure it's the right move for him. I understand exactly what you're saying in that it seems odd because we've got Bruno Fernandes in the kind of attacking midfield position. Um, but it would seem like he might be expected to play in kind of like a pivot role. So it's thought that Ten Hag will probably play 4-2-3-1 and that providing De Jong were to sign for United, if he does, it would be De Jong and Eriksen next to each other and Eriksen would kind of link up play, which is not really something I've seen him do. It's not to say that I don't think he could do it because he's very talented with a football at his feet. Um, but for Brentford, he was often picking up central and then kind of central left areas if you look at his heat maps, and I guess we don't have, Man United don't have Pogba now, who would also be taking up those sorts of spaces. Um, and he had some creativity, experience, he's a winner, you know, played multiple times for his country. But yeah, I don't know. I, I think that Ten Hag is a man who has a vision for how he wants his squad to look, and I don't think he would sign somebody for the sake of it, so I'm sure he has an idea of how it'll work and it's a free transfer so there's not a lot to lose from it but but yeah I am also um curious as to how that's going to pan out because I don't think he's going to want to sit on the bench and neither is Bruno Fernandes um so I imagine they'll both play together but how that'll work I guess we'll have to find out soon enough my opinion of this is I I would have to call it a flop because I like you say if he is to play in that double pivot which I, I think as you said, I think that's probably where they're looking because I, I can't imagine they brought Ericsson in just to... Well, I say this, they, they may have actually done that. I mean, it, it's a free transfer and this is a league where you need squad depth. So it's very possible that he has come in to do that. But I just don't think Ericsson would have loved that idea. So I think he's been given assurances that he'll play a decent amount of football, which I think does mean that he's going to have to play alongside Bruno, which means he is going to play slightly deeper. And like you say, it's just not something we've ever seen him do very often. So I'm just not sure that this is the right move. And I don't think it's going to be a success. So I think it's going to be a bit of a flop, personally. I'm so split. So incredibly split on this one. Oh, I'm going to have to give an answer. If I'm going to be harsh to Rafinha, I guess I have to be harsh here too. I, I want it to work and I think it could work. But for now, I'll say flop because I don't understand how it's going to work. And I don't know where that physicality in midfield will come from. But there we go. So that was Ballon d'Or or Ballon Snore. Should we carry on with our and give give the final four of our lists, Blake? Yeah, I'm very excited to see where we've uh, put these top four managers. I, I think we'll have gone for the same. I think I was very... I almost swapped my one and two round. I think three and four will have gone the same. One and two, I was mm, deliberating over. Yeah, I think I very much agree. I think I think the three and four is pretty much set. It, it's which way we've put the one and two that is the only one that I think could be controversial. Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, okay, I've, I've written my one and two down now, so it's there. Um, I'm assuming that both of us at number four have gone for Thomas Tuchel. Yeah, we very much have, yeah. First season with Chelsea, came in, won the Champions League. I mean, it's <laughs> not a bad effort. One. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's as straight up as that. Like, <laughs> you come in and you win a side of the Champions League. Yes. You're one of the best elite managers in the world. It's, it's literally as simple as that. And he's done very well with Chelsea. I think towards the end of the season, he started to fade off a little bit. And there has been talk that he does struggle with big personality sometimes. And, and like the Lukaku situation is supposed to, that is a example of that. Like sometimes when players get like headstrong, he sometimes struggles to deal with that. Um, and it's something that's been t- said about him in his PSG career as well. So I I don't know if that's going to have like a lasting effect on his Chelsea legacy, but like I think he's done very well at Chelsea. Like you say, he's come in, won the Champions League, and he's finished third in the league. Um, And like I said, they did wean off a little bit towards the end of the season, but they they had nothing to play for. They couldn't really drop to fourth or out of the top four. And I just think they just lost a bit of that stride forward so yeah like I think he's just not quite as good as the three that we have above but he is a very good manager like you say he's taken he's also taken PSG to a Champions League final which is the furthest they've ever been as well so I think he's a very good manager and I think he deserves to be in this uh top four I think PSG is a bit of a poison chalice as well because I don't really think it's set up for a manager to succeed it's kind of set up to bring in the biggest names and to make money and it's not really set up for a manager to complete their own vision I think we've seen that with Pochettino we saw that with Unai Emery all three of which are good managers and I think that Thomas Sukel took them to a Champions League final he also won two doubles with PSG uh, won a, didn't he win a domestic quad as well or something like that um, so I think he's a very good manager who had um, an unfair ending to his relationship with PSG. And I also think with Chelsea this season, I think they should have done better than they did. I think they really should have pushed Liverpool and City harder. But also they had the whole Abramovich issues going on. um, So they didn't know whether they'd have money for the team bus to be able to travel to places and and all the kind of issues that were going on surrounding that um, and the Lukaku issues in the background. I just think that it it kind of it put him on a back foot and I don't think those things were necessarily his fault. So, I don't know. Also, I just quickly, actually, before we move on, Conor Gallagher was back at Chelsea, not had an amazing preseason by all accounts. I kind of hope he stays. I want to see how he does. Yeah, I, I'm intrigued by that situation. I just, my only issue is that, like, how much does he play at Chelsea? Like, I think he could get a decent amount of game time this season and he really could make a difference to that squad but it's just it's just how Tuchel really feels about him and whether he wants him within his squad but yeah it would be interesting to see apparently he does apparently he really likes him he, he's a big fan of him apparently but obviously if he has poor pre-season then it's not going to be amazing and as of recording things may change obviously before we release but as of recording he's he's still there yeah I think I think he could have an impact but the issue is, like, they do have, like, three very good central midfielders that he has to battle out. So whether he actually is able to fight them out of those positions is 
still yet to be seen. Yeah, I think he could be what Chelsea hoped Ross Barkley would be for them. But there we go. We will uh, we'll see soon enough, I guess. Number three, I'm assuming we've both gone for the same man. I would have thought so. So number three, uh, Jurgen Klopp. Please don't tell me that's true. <laughs> no, Antonio Conte is in the yeah. <laughs> yeah, of course. He's a born winner. He, he wins everywhere he goes, basically. As we heard in the wiki quiz earlier, um, he got promoted with uh, with Barry from Serie B. I mean, the, the rest of the honours speak for themselves, don't they? He does just win everywhere he goes. To the fact that he took Inter to that title after creating the dynasty of Juve himself <laughs> and then them going on a 10-year run and then him coming back to Italy just to break that is is madness and like you say he did so well at Chelsea a stat that I've got here is that Chelsea had a 65% win rate which is utterly crazy like to be winning 65% of your games in the Premier League is is crazy that side was so difficult to beat the side with Azpilicueta David Luiz in a three at the back I can't remember who the other one was was it Cahill maybe yeah possibly and for him to take Spurs who were very much struggling after those first few games with uh, Nuno in charge and somehow got us into the Champions League is remarkable. We should never have been in the Champions League. And the fact that he managed to drag us all the way up the table and actually pull it off. And it's not just the fact that he pulled it off. It's the fact that it went down to the last four games and instead of Spurs being Spurs... We were Antonio Conte Spurs, which is different. And I think he's just installed a completely different mentality within that Spurs squad. And I'm just very excited to see what he can do with us this season. You know the phrase, what happens when an unstoppable force meets an immovable object? I don't know if you know where I'm going with this. Conte being the unstoppable force winning wherever he goes and Spurs being the immovable object and being allergic to trophies, something's got to give, whether it's Conte or Spurs, I I don't know. It was interesting, actually, that there's reasons that Conte isn't... I didn't ever consider him higher in my list. One, because he's never won anything in Europe, really. And two, did you ever see Gary Neville's comments in which he was talking about Conte and the reasons that he is only ever at a club short term? And apparently... Neville had spoken to somebody who'd worked with Conte or seen him up close working. And it's because he's so incredibly intense with how strict the rules are, with how rigorous training is, is that it's very effective early doors and very effective for a couple of years. But players can't do it for more than a certain amount of time. And if you look at his managerial record, he's not been at a club more than three years. So I... I don't think you can call him the best manager in the league if he can only do it in short stints. Yeah, I, I do agree with you there. And I, I think Mourinho kind of lived in the same sort of world um, in that he, he does work them very, very hard. And like you say, it gets too much in. Something else that Gary Neville has always said is that like when you, he, you can see it in Conte, he starts to like put little seeds in when he's ready and thinking about leaving. So he'll start making little comments about the fact that he didn't get the transfers he wants or there's something that's not quite right with the club that's kind of holding him back. So he starts to like make those little riffs. So it feels like it's not his fault that he's left. It makes it look it like... It gives him an out. Yeah, it gives him an out. Um, so I'm just hoping 
prospect, but we can at least try and get through this season and maybe, just maybe, he can end that trophy drought for us. Well, he was doing that with Spurs from about five minutes in, wasn't he? He was saying, oh, you know what, I might go. It was like one one minute he was saying, oh, this is one of the best groups of people I've ever worked with. The next minute he was like, I don't know if this project's right for me. And that, confusing. Yeah, I think I think he was just upset with himself because there was just some points in the season where he wouldn't normally drop points but obviously he's got to install a completely different mentality into this squad of players um i think there are a few players within that squad that have the same mentality as conte but trying to get it through the whole 25-man squad's a completely different ball game but yeah i think i think he's definitely got to be considered one of the best managers in the world right now um, and that's why he's in number three but obviously when you have the two managers above him in the league, it's very difficult for you to break that top two. It really is. And I feel like we'll have gone for the same as well. I know I've said that for four and three, but I was right. I think we'll have gone for the same on the order for one or two. Just do a little countdown, three, two, one, and then both say number two. Yeah, let's go for it. So three, two, one, Pep. Guardiola. Oh, really? I was kind of expecting you to put Klopp, if I'm honest. <sighs> Yeah, I thought about it. I was umming and erring over it, but I think that oh, we may as well speak about both at the same time here because we've both gone for Klopp at number one and Guardiola at number two. Um, unless you've done something outrageous and just not added Klopp into your <laughs> one to eleven at all. But <laughs> I don't no, think you're that dumb. Not that crazy. He is definitely at number one. <laughs> um, yeah. I just think that Guardiola hasn't won anything in Europe with with City, and I think that Klopp has spent a lot less and done extremely well he's turned the club around basically they were kind of languishing and now look where they are yeah that's fully my reasoning for why i've put club number one it's not necessarily just the european trophies it's, it's the fact that he's taken a squad that was just not really giving anything sitting in like eighth and his driven them up the table and taken them to their first ever Premier League title like obviously Liverpool have a lot of that history but obviously they never won a Premier League title before and the fact that he took that team and built it completely in his own image and then took it all the way to the top is just unbelievable and I think that's why I've again I've put him above Pep because Pep has come into a team that they, they were winning titles before Pep arrived, whereas Liverpool, that was not the case. I do like I do understand why people think Pep would be considered better than Klopp, but it's, it, in my personal opinion, the fact that he's won all of the Euro- European titles and he's more of a manager that takes over a team and completely builds them in his own image and then takes them to the top, whereas I feel like Pep has always kind of taken over teams that have already very much at their top of their game and he takes them in and obviously he does very very well and plays his style of football and does build his team but I just think they're already there. I think he takes a successful or I think he takes a good group of players and makes them great. I think that he does he does go into a a team and take them to another level. I mean there's definitely an argument for Pep to be top. He joined City a year after Klopp joined Liverpool and has won 10 trophies. There's an argument to be made. I know that Klopp inherited a pretty poor side and he's done an incredible job to turn it round. Won six trophies in seven years. In recent years, is that good enough? He's won six finals with Liverpool, lost four. I guess that's not so bad. 
I don't know. I mean, he's Klopp's managed to do a similar-ish job to Guardiola with a worse starting point and less money. If you look at Pep's stats, they are completely crazy. His win percentage is 72.8% over his whole career. It doesn't matter where this guy goes, he wins football matches. But it, 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 it is just that European trophy that he has struggled to find with City that I think has pushed him slightly down as well. And, and I just think Klopp has done such an incredible job of taking over Liverpool and just kind of the way that the clubs run. And I think Klopp has helped influence that. And he's just done such an incredible job with Liverpool. Just before we move on to our final feature and and call it a day for the podcast in this episode, just wanted to mention quickly, Pep Guardiola usually stays at a club for about three years or so and then calls it quits because he needs a break because he delves into, into the job so in depth. His contract is up in May next year and hasn't said about whether he is going to sign a new one or not because he says he doesn't want to make a decision until next year. Nervous wait for City fans um, because I don't think, while we've put Klopp top, I don't think anyone goes into that City dressing room and does a better job than Guardiola or as good a job. Um, And it'll be interesting to see whether he goes for another year and maybe it'll depend on how they do in the Champions League this season. But that's an interesting one to keep an eye on. So that is our 1 through 11. Let's just quickly remind you of what they were. So I went for Steven Gerrard, 11. Eddie Howe, 10. Graham Potter at 9. Mikel Arteta at 8. 7, David Moyes. 6, Brendan Rodgers. 5 is Eric Ten Hag. 4 is Thomas Tuchel. 3, Antonio Conte. 2, Pep Guardiola. And at number 1, Liverpool's much-loved manager, Jurgen Klopp. And my list is... Pretty much exactly the same, but obviously, as we discussed earlier, the only difference is that I have Thomas Frank in at number 11 and James has Stephen Gerrard. So for our final feature, we're going to be looking at who we think is going to finish in the top four. So now we're just going to discuss the order in which we think the top four is going to finish this season. So, uh, James, if you'd like to take off with your fourth position, please. I think this is the most controversial one, but I'd like to hear what you have to say. Yeah, and I found, I think, three through one, two and one are fairly clear. Number three, I think a lot of people would agree with. Number four, I'm going to go for Chelsea. I just think that with more stability there, they've got an owner in place now who doesn't have links to Putin that we know of. Yeah, I just think that they will, they'll do enough to get fourth. Yeah, oh, I I agree with that. I think I think they've they've obviously lost a lot defensively, but it looks like they're completely rebuilding that defense, and I think it could be just as good, if not better. So I I think they just edge out the other teams fighting for that top four position. And in at number three, who have you gone for? I've gone for Tottenham. I just think. Antonio Conte is just looking ready and up for this season. I think the signings that we've made are exactly what Conte needs and wanted. And I think he is working the team really hard in pre-season. And I'm just very excited to see how the season can go. Yeah, agreed. I think Tottenham at number three, I think based on how many points Tottenham won 
after Conte took over, the fact that the, the squad is now strengthened, there's more depth up top and in midfield. I just think that it's a club that's relatively stable for the time being, and I think that third place is, is realistic. And at number two, I have gone for Liverpool. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that as well. I think I think the loss of Mane is just too much for them to then lose Mane and then bridge that gap that they had already. So I just think they're not going to be able to pip City to the title this year. No, I think that if they couldn't beat City last season, and City admittedly now don't have Sterling, and actually in certain areas don't look as strong as they were. They don't have Zinchenko at left-back anymore. Obviously, they've got Cancelo, but I just don't think they've got the same depth. I just think that with Haaland up top and with Alvarez too, and with the additions they've made, I just think that it will just be a little bit too tough for Liverpool. And I think Liverpool will be very good, but it's going to be a transition to a a front three learning to work together um, without Mane. So yeah, I think that we're both in agreement there. Yeah, I think I think that you say I think City are just going to have too much. There are areas where they may have got slightly weaker, but I think the fact that they now have Haaland, like you say, Alvarez, they've gone and got Calvin Phillips to solidify that midfield. I just I just can't see how Liverpool, like I say, bridge that gap with losing one of their best players. I know Nunes could step up, but that's an unknown quantity right now. He he could be good. He could be not what they expected. So um, I think, yeah, I think that gap is just a little too big for them to bridge this season. And I think City go on to win the title. I think it's too early to rely on Nunes. Like you say, he's an unknown quantity. I think he will do well, but who knows uh, when he's going to be stepping up to a Mane sort of level if he does. So that is the second episode of the 1 to 11, looking at our 1 to 11 of current Premier League managers. Thank you for joining joining myself, James, and Blake, too. In our next episode, Blake, what is it that we're going to be looking at? For the next episode, we will be reviewing the home kits of the teams across the top five leagues of Europe to see who we think is the best. We know that kits are expensive now, but also... There are some beauties out there which you may have missed. So we're going to bring you those and tell you which ones we think are best. So make sure to catch that wherever you get your podcasts. We will be there. If you enjoyed today's episode, if you could subscribe and and leave us a review as well, that would be great as we try and spread the podcast and get in touch with us if you have anything to say about the episode, about any future episodes too. And we'd love to hear from you. The email is 1to11pod at gmail.com get in touch with us via instagram facebook and twitter too search for at the one to eleven until next week hope to see you all there have a good one